This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place for inspiration and information on the conscious parenting journey. I am your host, Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, a parent coach, a wife, and a mom to two teens of my very own who teach me how to be a better human every darn day. This podcast is an invitation to get real about parenting and to take personal responsibility for how you are showing up for your kids. This is a place for support, celebration, and authenticity, and I'm so glad that you're here. There are over 200 shows to binge on, my friends, so if the tween and teen years aren't your jam yet, you should really check out some of my earlier shows where I talk more about younger kids. I want to give a special shout out to all of the lovely listeners who took time last week to check in on my family after they listened to the show. I shared that we are navigating some big health challenges over here beyond the pandemic and quarantine, and I'm happy to report that things are getting better. Big thanks to all of the clients that I rescheduled to make space to take care of my family. It isn't easy to live in crisis, and I'm grateful to my team and community for their endless support and understanding. Interestingly enough, the conversation I'm sharing with you all this week is about navigating crisis. I know you will take a ton away from this conversation. Thank you so much for being such an amazing community. I adore you. Enjoy the show. Hey, listeners, I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Donia Baumgartner. Donia is a life coach for frustrated moms who are exhausted living in a culture that doesn't support them well, which can lead to feeling very out of control of their own time and energy. In her work, Donia helps mothers re-engage with their own desires and design a mothering style and family life that feels authentic to their personal values and goals. She believes that when parents have their needs met, they have more energy and patience to engage with their children in healthy and productive ways. Hi, Donia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I have to say that when people read that back to me, the work that I do, every time I get chills, I'm like, this is so exciting, the work that I do. It is. It is. And I'm (laughs) so grateful that I get to highlight it to my audience. Yay. Thank you. Tell us a little bit more about your journey of doing what you do. Um. You know, I came to mothering very late in my life. Um, I was 38 when I had my daughter, and that was after 38 years, well, not all 38, but, you know, something like 20 years of really wanting to be a mom and then Mm. not having my life line up in a way that made it possible Mm -hmm. for me to be a mom. Um, And then when I got to motherhood, which involved leaving a corporate career after a surprise pregnancy, thinking I was going to get an MBA and then dropping out and then deciding to stay home with my child while I figured out what I was going to do next. 
really realizing that just being a mom, which was sort of what I thought I would love to do, you know, if only my life would align so I could quit my job and stay home with my baby. Um, I didn't actually love it all that much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I really realized that there was a lot more that I wanted in my life. There was a lot more that I wanted for myself. There was a lot more that I wanted as a mother too. And that the culture of what being a stay-at-home mother looked like was not a fit for me. And all that to say that I am basically still a stay-at-home mother nine years later. Mm-hmm. I have a small coaching business that I run while my daughter's in school. So it's important for me to be here with her. But what I thought it was going to look like is not what it ended up looking like at all. So that journey of trying to figure out what mothering meant to me, what being a good mother meant to me, how to go from 38 years of having my own priorities and my own time and my own desires met when I wanted them Mm -hmm. to being a mother of a young child where you don't get any of those things. Figuring all that out is what brought me to what I'm doing now, because what I saw around me was a lot of moms struggling with exactly the same things and all of us not really knowing what to do with that. Yeah. Well, and I have a couple of friends who, um, three of my close, close friends who had their babies at 40. Yeah. And now they have five and six-year-olds. Right. And I think that it's a privilege to get to choose, right? To get to mm-hmm. choose in or it out of, of staying yeah. at home or working. But yeah, I mean, I just imagine what it must be like to have all of those years as a person without children and then that newborn and that like it feels and I was just listening to a podcast a women's business podcast, but the gal was just talking about how those early years, and really, I think it extends through all of it, like time goes so fast while also standing still. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it can be maddening. Yeah. And especially those first, that first year, the first year or two when, you know, their milestones are coming so fast, but at the same time, each day feels like an eternity. Mm -hmm. Well, today we're going to discuss how to recover space for ourselves after our family has weathered a crisis that may have caused us to put everything on hold. So, Can you share a bit about why this topic is important to you? Yeah, this is something that I have lived through in a couple of different ways. The first round of issues that happened was that once I decided that I was going to stay home with my daughter and I wasn't going to finish that MBA program and I wasn't going to go back to corporate work, we decided to grow our family and we were unable to. I had two miscarriages in a row and then I got really ill after that and we couldn't figure out what was going on, but eventually we, I discovered that I had cancer. So Mm. when I was 42, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and my daughter was just four and we thought we were going to have more kids by then. And we didn't. And then one of the things they told me when I was entering breast cancer treatment was this is probably going to make you infertile. So you're not going to have any more kids. <laughs> wow. So both of those pieces, the like what I thought was my life was going to look like piece, mm-hmm. and then also dealing with cancer treatment. And I'm almost five years out from my diagnosis now, and I'm quite healthy. So that story, okay. you know, went well, but it was rough. It was a really rough few years. And it really, really was hard on my relationship with my partner, with my daughter's father. And we separated for a good long time for almost two years Mm. after I finished treatment, we are back together now. But all of those pieces were like crisis after crisis after crisis in our lives. And so learning how to do self-care in a really radical way while I was going through those things, um, and then also figuring out how to put all the pieces back together was something that I felt like I took a masterclass in. Mm -hmm. And those skills have been really helpful to my clients as I've worked with various people. And I find that a lot of my clients find me after an intense period in their lives when they're standing at the precipice of, you know, like, wow, that was intense. And now I can find a kind of like find a little room for myself again. And I don't know who I am anymore. So that's one of the things that my clients come to me with quite often. Well, and I imagine, well, I want to say for parents, because I want to be inclusive of moms and dads. Mm -hmm. However, what I really want to say is moms. So I'm just (laughs) going to say it, be transparent about that. But 
we tend to hold the emotional experience of our family. And so as I'm listening to you talk about your journey with miscarriage and with cancer and with separation, I'm also imagining the like your very real experience of holding the emotional experience of your daughter through all of yeah. this as well. Yeah, that was a huge piece of it. Absolutely. And still, I mean, you know, she was very little when mm-hmm. I was in cancer. And so she is still processing that stuff because she wasn't big enough or yeah. aware enough to process it then. So it still comes up. Yeah. And crisis can show up in a lot of ways, right? Like like what you were sharing. I think when there's any kind of, you know, my listeners have listened through my story of, you know, the teen years and mm-hmm. just the interruption in the narrative of, oh, I didn't realize I was attached to things mm-hmm. playing out a certain way. Yeah. Whether it's mental health or you know, there's addiction and homelessness or separation or just intense financial distress. Yeah, absolutely. So and many could, different ways. You know, ways. it even could be a sort of expected thing. You know, it might be a death of a parent, which you sort of mm-hmm. expect, but it still can really throw you for a loop. Or it could be as simple as a diagnosis for your child that maybe you guessed they had already, but then once it's real and now you have to deal with it and now you have to like go down the path of treatment or... IEPs, you know, all of that stuff yeah. can really throw your family. Well, and I'm just imagining the pain of, you know, whatever the crisis is can feel overwhelming. I have a couple of friends who over the last year lost their oldest sons, mm-hmm. uh, two separate friends, two different families, to tragic accidents. And one yeah. fairly recently, the other just over a year ago. And what do you like when you think about your experience and the work that you've done? What is it that these moms need most, do you think, to support them? Because I do, uh, I also yeah. want to say, like, cause the other thing, holding the emotional experience of everyone, do you find in your work that that kind of keeps parents from their own grieving process because they have to be a certain way, a certain thing for everybody else? It certainly can. Yeah, it can certainly delay it. Um, Mm -hmm. That's what I see most often is that, you know, they come through, they think, oh, the crisis is over. I'm on the other side. And then they fall apart. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to know exactly what different people need, right? And that's Mm -hmm. always where you should come to, you know, there, there's, there's two part, there's two sides to this, to how I would answer this question. One is what do those mothers need themselves? And then the other side is as a friend to that mother, how can you offer to support them? So from, from the side of the family, I would think that they probably need to know they're not alone. They probably need emotional support. They probably need some practical support, especially when it's very recent, you know, they might need Mm -hmm. help with feeding themselves. They might need help with getting their other kids to where they need to be. Mm -hmm. They might just need someone to sit with them and not do anything other than to say, I'm here. Tell me how you feel or tell me a story. Um, And I think especially in the case of a sudden and tragic loss like that, one of the things that those parents often need and don't receive is people talking about that child. Like bringing the stories of that child to keep them alive in their heart. Way back in the beginning of my podcast, I did um, a whole series of episodes about grief. And one of the things that really stood out to me was I interviewed a friend of mine who lost a parent to suicide. Mm -hmm. And she said that one of the things she wanted the most in her grieving process was people to tell her stories about her father. But that people felt so uncomfortable about the fact of how he had ended his life, that it was almost like they didn't want to talk about him. Mm -hmm. And that was really hurtful to her because she was like, he was a person, you know, he was here and I loved him and there was more to his life than the way he ended it. Yeah. What do you think that's about? Do you think it's like about, I mean, because when I'm thinking about myself being a friend, engaging, like, do you like, just that, you know, it's like talking about race or talking yeah. about, you know, it's like, I don't <laughs> like, want to say the, the wrong time is right. thing. Yeah. Right. I don't want to say the wrong thing. So we end up not saying anything because it feels safer 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. I and think you can, really I think, about. I think you can always ask, you know, you can say, mm-hmm. I, I remembered a story. Can I share it with you? Mm. Uh, you know, you can offer it and then just be really unattached <laughs> to yeah. the outcome. Like the answer might be, I can't deal right now, you know, or yes, I'd love to. And you just never know what you're going to get on any particular day because it might be whatever conversation they had just before you is impacting how they feel. Hey, so I'm so excited. I want to share with you about one of our new sponsors, Starglow Media. They have this amazing show for all of you with younger kids called Mysteries About True Histories. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers and on adventures through time packed with puzzles and hidden equations, histories and laughs. You all know Alana, our co-founder at Sproutable. She listened to the show with her seven-year-old and loved it. They would pause the show and try to figure out the math problems together, loved learning about different cultures and the histories around the world. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and so much more. Math is geared Math is what they call it. Math is geared towards kids six and over, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. Episodes drop every Thursday, and they're about 15 minutes, perfect length for the car rides, mealtime, break time, bedtime. Each episode is stacked with so much laughter, and your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories math with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God. Spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Right. And, and guess what, people? It's not about you. It's not so about you. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. My one friend um, whose son was a, a student of mine way back in the day, and he, he died in a kayaking accident. And she was really good about tell me stories, tell me stories, tell mm-hmm. me stories about Sam, you know, and it was the joy and the lightness, even as the tears came yeah. in those story in that storytelling was so healing for her and healing for everyone. And it was such a, it is, it is such a gift that she wants to be, you know, it's that she's so good for ask to, yeah. at asking for what she needs. Yeah. And I imagine, and I kind of have touched on this, that in a crisis, it's so easy to lose yourself and you can speak into your experience. Yeah you know, as we hold everything together and live through another day. And like I mentioned, like just kind of that delayed grieving process, how do we come back to us? How do we get back to ourselves? And is it something that, is there a process to this? Is it, you know, is there urgency to this or is it really just I think it's really what everybody's different. Everybody needs something different. Um, what I would say to that is that the process is different for everybody. And so there is no one timeline. So what I see most often is people saying things to themselves, like I should be through this by now. I should be, 
Mm. You know, whether they're grieving or they're just getting through something hard, like this shouldn't be so hard. I shouldn't be doing it the way I'm doing it, (laughs) basically. Mm. And that's the one that is like a red flag to me, because whatever way you need to do it is the right way. And if Mm. that takes you five years or 20 years or you never stop grieving, then that's the right way to do it. It's not going to be as intense every day as it is right when you're in the beginning or the middle of it. But, you know, I still get angry about having cancer and I'm five years out and I'm perfectly healthy. Mm -hmm. So there are moments where I am just furious at the whole situation, but it passes. But if I spend time beating myself up about the fact that I'm still mad, that's way worse (laughs) than just being mad for five minutes and then moving on. Well, and can I ask you a personal question? Sure. Yeah. What has been your grieving process just around letting go of that picture of, you know, a family with more kids. Yeah. That has been, yeah, that has been probably the hardest part. And I, you know, there were a couple of things that just really hit me in the face with it. So one was that that same year that I was in cancer treatment, all three of my other siblings had babies. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you guys get babies and I get cancer. So, you know, that year was really rough. And I had to really be honest with myself at every step. Like, can I handle a baby shower? Mm-hmm. Would yeah. I rather just send a gift and my apologies and, you know, hope that they will give me some grace on this? So, you know, it was very much keeping close track of my own feelings and my own abilities mm-hmm. and recognizing that they were in a very different place with this story than I was. Like they were all in deep joy and gratitude and I was pissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but my being angry wasn't their problem, right? right. So right. How, how do I navigate that when I can't be in joy for them? How do I protect them from my messiness, but also give my messiness space to be true because it was true? Um, So that was one piece of it was just really checking in with myself and recognizing that I had boundaries and I had to keep them even if it was really awkward sometimes. Well, and can we slice that a little thinner? Yeah. Because I think, you know, as coaches, (laughs) we sometimes have lingo that as a listener, it like, I hear you saying that, but what does that mean? So like, <laughs> in on ourselves, like, what does that yeah. look like in real time? Yeah, that's a great question. So for, for me, for that particular example, mm-hmm. that was noticing when I felt resentment or anger or even just discomfort. Yeah. Um, if I felt like I needed to cry <laughs> when I even thought about the baby shower, maybe that was coming up. So that's what I mean by checking in with myself is like, how am I feeling? What is triggering that feeling? And that it's a practice. And that's something that I work with my clients to build is that kind of internal process of checking your instincts and checking your feelings and where are your feelings in your body and what's causing those feelings, the thoughts or emotions that are causing those feelings. But the other half of that is then knowing what to do. So, okay, you have a feeling or you have an emotion. So for me, maybe it was like, I realize I really don't want to go to a baby shower or I can't manage the baby shower that's coming up. Then what's the most, I want to say the most authentic thing. Like what's, what's the thing that's most integrity for me to do to both like love my sister. Right. And love me in my, in my grief. Yeah. And that depends on the relationship. Like with one of my sisters, she knew exactly where I was. And, you know, even when she called to tell me she was pregnant, she was like, I know this is going to be really hard for you to hear. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be happy for me in this moment, but I want you to hear it from me and not from somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, And another one of my sisters lives further away and we're not quite as close. And so I, like the first sister, I felt like I could just say to her, like, look, I can't, I, I can't today you know, and that would be enough. And my other sister, I might give an excuse that was, you know, not exactly true, but not exactly a lie either. (laughs) You know, like I'm not feeling well, or, you know, I can't make it. I have a conflict instead of just saying it right out, because maybe that would turn into a big conversation that I just wasn't prepared to have that conversation either. Well, and I love that you're sharing this because I think it really gives us all permission to recognize that we get to decide. Mm-hmm. And because yeah. I know in my experience um, of navigating some mental health stuff with my daughter last fall, 
you know, there were people in my family that were on my speed dial. And then there were others that I, you know what, I didn't want to be. And of course it has to do with my, you know, my, my inner teenager really Mm -hmm. is what it had to do with my own inner teenager and conditioning. And I didn't want to, it was such a tender time that I didn't want to put myself in a position of having to defend the choices that we were making for our child. And so those people just got text messages. Yeah. And I got to be really thoughtful in what I shared and I got to wait and decide when I wanted to respond and it felt really safe. But I do want to say that my therapist has been helping me and I have actually had phone calls with both (laughs) of those family members. They were really grateful to hear from me and the conversations were really powerful. Um, However, I think because of that time where there was the distance, like I think it really landed and I was really vulnerable on the phone. Like, Hey, this is why I haven't been in touch. You know, Mm -hmm. this is possibly not how you would handle this situation and that's okay. But I don't, I don't, I'm not looking to be in defense of our choices. So yeah. 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 And you know, it's interesting that you say that your therapist really helped you with this because I, I have a therapist who has really helped me through some of these sticky points too. And we had a really interesting conversation just in my last appointment where we were talking about with certain people, there are circumstances that you can set up that help those conversations go better. So it's like, Mm -hmm. would you rather meet with that person, talk with that person in your home or their home or in public? Or like, does it help if there's furniture in between you? (laughs) Or does it help if you're like closer to the door, you know? So there's all these things to think about that even to have a really hard conversation, you can make it easier and more in your control. Yeah. And for me with one particular person, I, 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 I had to make sure that there was a hard stop. Like I was either walking into an appointment or I knew that I had about 10 minutes and then there was no, yeah. Then I had to get off the phone and that again gave me structure. And of course, you know, getting on the phone and it was lovely and really great to connect. And I was really glad and what I had built up in my mind, right? Because we're humans and we, go a little crazy town in how we <laughs> think things are going to go and feel, yep. um, you know, it was, a, and I got to, sh- you know, and I did some work around, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to show up as a defensive 19 year old. I'm going to show up as a fully evolved and continuing to evolve 46 year old who, yeah. you know, is a grown up. Right. Yeah. And that's a really important point is that some of this stuff that comes up is like old, old stories, old beliefs, old wounds and recognizing when you get triggered, like that's that same checking in with yourself, like, wow, this feels really overly emotional for what it is I'm actually dealing with. I I had this come up in a conversation with my partner just a couple nights ago where I was looking like, intellectually, I was looking at the situation. I'm like, this is not a big deal, this conversation we're having. And yet I'm having this humongous emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel like it's what's happening right here. It feels like it's something that happened 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so even recognizing that you're in that space, you can, you know, you can like, call a halt to the conversation. Like I'm having a really big response here and I'm sorry, it's not about you, but I need to stop because I'm triggered and I need to calm down. This show is brought to you today by BetterHelp. Listen, we never know what's going to show up in our lives, right? And if you're like me, you might handle stress by being an over-functioner meaning you do everything for every person and end up feeling a bit burnt out and resentful in the process. (laughs) True story. This is something that I am working on with my therapist. My overfunctioning gets triggered when crisis shows up and listeners, you know, we've had a little bit of crisis over here the last nine months. So yeah, yeah, I'm super grateful for the mental health support that I get. But not everyone can afford a therapist or has the ability to go to a therapist's office, or maybe there simply isn't anyone you can connect with in your community. That is what is really cool about BetterHelp. It's counseling with licensed mental health professionals online or via phone, 
at a cost you can afford. They have people that can support you with addiction, anxiety, depression, marriage issues, grief, you name it, and they will find someone who is the perfect fit for you. And Joyful Courage listeners receive 10% off their first month using the code JOYFULCOURAGE. You have nothing to lose by checking it out. Go to www.betterhelp.com slash joyfulcourage. You are worthy of the support. That's www.betterhelp.com slash joyfulcourage. This, you know, kind of fits into the self-care conversation too, whether it's, you know, deciding, giving yourself permission to, you know, have certain kind of conversations with certain people or growing and developing your own awareness around those triggers and how we're feeling inside of conversations with our partners or with other people. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure this is the same for you and with your clients, like parents our moms especially are not very good at putting themselves on the top of the list <laughs> for self-care. Nope. And I'm guessing, and I know in my own experience from last fall, you know, it's really like times of crisis and we want to curl up in a ball on the floor. I mean, the self-care conversation can go completely out the window as we're consumed yeah. with whatever's going on directly in front of us. So talk about the power of self-care and how to come to it, you know, because I also recognize that someone who's living through grieving a miscarriage or, you know, a a death of a child, a death of a parent, like whatever is happening. Somebody's saying like, well, how's your self-care? You know, I kind of want to give them the bird. Like, exactly. (laughs) Whatever. I don't have time to talk (laughs) about that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, self-care is a huge topic. So, you know, this, I just want to recognize that this is really just going to skim the surface, what we talk right, about right. here. And self-care is usually one of the first touch points that my clients interact with me around because, you know, we all know we need self-care. But then once I start talking about self-care and I start working with someone about building a self-care practice and they're like, oh my gosh, there's so much underneath this. That's not even, you know, yes, it's self-care, but it's all the things that are underneath that I'm not even looking at. Mm -hmm. So there's that piece of it too, that sometimes self-care is just the icing. Mm. But what I want to say about self-care and times of crisis is that there are different kinds of self-care. There is emotional self-care, which is what we've been talking about. And then there's very practical self-care. And the practical stuff is more what gets screen time. You know, like if you go on... Pinterest and you search for self-care, it's going to give you like, go get your nails done and go get a pedicure. And, you know, those things can be self-care. Those can be very surface self-care, but then practical self-care might also include things like setting up your grocery order on auto, putting Mm -hmm. all your bills on auto pay so you don't have to think about them. Might be doing a meal plan once a week so that you're not making decisions every night at five o'clock, which is exhausting. Um, Oh God. Even when you're not in a crisis. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Poor family. Self-care can look, uh, yes, all of them. Even (laughs) when they're big, we think the witching hour ends when they're turned three, but it doesn't. And then also things like really looking at how do you feel when you're caring for yourself? And so, you know, in looking at the emotional boundaries that you're setting and looking at the practical things that you're doing, but then also like, have I played lately? Mm -hmm. Do I even know what I enjoy anymore? Have I made time for that? You know, those kinds of things. But then looking at how do you feel different and what shifts in your life when you put time and energy into those places, when you create that self-care habit, what's different for you? And I have never had someone say, I tried that self-care thing and it just really didn't change anything. Like no one ever said that. What I always hear is, oh my gosh, my kids stopped fighting. I stopped yelling. I'm sleeping better. I actually enjoy my partner again. We started having sex. We haven't had sex in six months and now it's fun. You know, like all Mm -hmm. these things start shifting and they're not even things you're necessarily trying to shift. It's just sort of a natural occurrence because suddenly you start filling your own self up again and you have energy for other people. 
we think we don't have time for self-care, but the reality is if we put time and energy into self-care, we will have so much more time and energy for the people we want to take care of. But if we don't do it, then we're running on fumes all the time. Yeah. I talk about the iceberg metaphor, right? And all the things at the tip of the iceberg that we want to fix and change and and it's a it's a leap of of faith and trust to recognize like if you take care of yourself when you are working on taking care of yourself and i like to think about self care versus soul care yes right doing those things that are meaningful to you or if you are if that part of that is like exercise then not being at the gym grumpy about the fact that you're exercising, <laughs> but actually like, wow, I'm taking time to do this. This feels really good. Right, I'm stronger. Right. Or finding okay. a kind of exercise that feels fun. I mean, I can't stand the gym, but I take a dance class every week and I love it. Yeah. So great. sometimes it's shifting what you're doing. Yeah. But also, you know, how it influences yeah. our relationships and the people around us. Talk to me a little bit about guilt, because this is something I think I'm sure that your clients... Yes. Have conversations (laughs) with themselves about like, I shouldn't be taking, I can't leave the kids. I can't leave the family right now. Things are so hard. You know, it feels selfish. So how do you support? If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. People going through crisis who also on top of that feel guilty if they take any time for themselves. Yeah, well, and this is exactly where that realization that if you take care of yourself, then you have so much more energy and time and fun and lightness and everything shifts for the better. So what I generally do when people are saying, I can't because I feel guilty, I say, just try it. Just try one thing and then see what happens. Mm -hmm. And often where we're sitting in guilt is coming from a fear. Like I'm afraid that if I do this, what will happen and that, you know, what will happen is different for different people. Maybe it's, I'm afraid that my kids will, you know, need therapy when they're older. I'm afraid that, you know, my my kids will feel abandoned. They're all going to need therapy. I'm afraid my kids will feel abandoned. I'm afraid that, you know, my, my husband will get mad at me or I'm, I'm afraid that no one will step in to cover for me that I won't have the space. So I really encourage people to start small, start with something that feels achievable but feels like enough of a stretch, like it's not just going to get a pedicure. Like what is it that you really crave and how do you get an hour of that into your week? And then what happens? Tell me what happens once you do it, because 
always they get that I felt amazing and I wanted more and nobody was hurt. (laughs) Nobody minded. It was all good. Well, and I love that you said an hour a week. Yeah. Because I think that it becomes this thing like every day we're supposed yeah, to do like an all or nothing kind of thing. Yeah. So it's a false start, right? Because it's right. like, well, I couldn't possibly do that every yeah. day. Yeah. Well, it's like changing your diet, right? I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who've gone vegan or have gone keto or whatever. And if you try to do it cold turkey, it's really hard to maintain. Mm. But if you shift a little bit, you know, replace one ingredient here and do it for a week or two and then replace another ingredient, sort of set it as a challenge for yourself. It's so much easier. Yeah. And you can see the results. You can see, you can feel the difference and it really pulls you forward to continue doing whatever you're doing in that direction. Yeah. What happens to, from your experience, what do you notice about, talk to me about family values and how I mean, we talked a little bit about like a shifting narrative, Mm -hmm. Um, but talk to me about family values and how they might, may or may not shift depending on the crisis. Yeah. So are you talking about internal family values or how people hold family values? Well, I mean, I'm really interested in hearing because, and you, I would just love for you to be candid about this because you hear stories about people who get to the other side of cancer. And a lot of people say, you know, it's actually one of the best things that happened. I have such a different perspective around life and what's important to me. Did you have that experience or are you, or is it too, are you too close to it still? No, no, that's, that's a really good question. So first of all, let me say that when I was in the midst of treatment, Mm -hmm. And people would say that to me, oh, you know, my experience was I'm 10 years out. My experience was it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I just wanted to like punch them in the face yeah, yeah <laughs> because I was like, I, this is never going to be the best thing that happened to me. Several years out, I can say that there were benefits from the experience. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could go as far to say that it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And mm-hmm. I think that some of that is because I was already on a journey of creating a life that I wanted and I was already on a journey of self-awareness. So it wasn't like I was living in a fog or in sure. a trance. Like, you know, I mean, many people do live their lives where like I'm checking off all the boxes. I got married. I had the kids. I had the job. I'm got the house. I've got the dogs, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, and not really aware that they're miserable. Mm-hmm. until they get cancer. And then they're like, whoa, this is not the life I wanted. You know, So it's like a wake up call in that way. And it's a reset button. Mm-hmm. I was already on that path of like figuring out what I wanted in my life. And I felt like I was pretty far along it. You know, looking back, I realized that maybe I wasn't. But at the time I was like, I'm already building the life I want. I'm already, you know, I already quit the corporate job. I've already lowered my stress. I've already found the partner that I want. You know, like I don't, I don't want to change my life. This is, I want the life I had just with more babies in it. Um, But I can see that both the experience of living through the cancer treatment itself, which is Mm -hmm. a hard experience, not just the illness, but the advocating for yourself and figuring out the right choices to make, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. all of it. It's just so hard parenting through that and then having my relationship go sideways and solo parenting for a couple of years because we didn't have a good custody arrangement worked out. So I was basically parenting all by myself for a lot of that time. Those experiences have taught me a lot about how to streamline, how to manage my energy, how to set really solid boundaries. Um, It sent me back into really extensive therapy and I've really healed some stuff from my childhood that was triggering me and I knew it was triggering me, but I didn't, I just hadn't dealt with it yet. So like lit that fire under me to go like, go deal with my stuff. It has definitely made me a better communicator with my partner, with my child, with my community, you know, Mm -hmm. and it has made me clear about what I wanted in my life. And, you know, the further I get from it, I'm like, you know, that clarity does get more mushy. I have to admit, you know, like the year after I was like, these are exactly the things I want in my life and nothing else. And now I'm like, well, you know, (laughs) I could let some other things in maybe. Um, And, you know, and, and I'm a regular person. It's not like I live in that kind of clarity every day, you know, I still take on too much and I get stressed and 
I back up and I reset and, you know, but I have the tools now in a way that I didn't have before. Yeah. Does that answer your question? That was kind of a long-winded version yeah, of an answer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. And thank you, you know, for just of being course. open. And I'm just curious, yeah, as to like, in your work with people that have gone through a grief process or have gone through a, a crisis situation, do you find that they have a clearer picture of what they value after getting through it? Not always. I think that sometimes they feel more confused than they were before. But I think that a crisis point is a really good time to evaluate those things. So it's definitely an opportunity. Not everybody takes that opportunity or wants that opportunity. Yeah. And what does it look like to evaluate? How would you guide someone into that? Yeah, that's actually something I do a lot with my clients, even the ones that are not in crisis, is to really kind of step back from all the messages that we get from outside of us. And women get a lot of those messages. You know, oh, we yeah. get messages from media and we get messages from our extended family and just from the culture that we live in and absorb sort of, you know, in the ether of where we live. And they don't all actually align with our personal values. So one one of the things that I work with my clients to do is really practice stepping back from what all the outside messages are saying and thinking about what's true for them. And some and for different people that looks different. So for some people it's a journaling practice. Some people do it through meditation, whether that's, you know, a moving meditation or a seated meditation. I'm not a meditation teacher, but some of my clients come to me with those practices already. Mm. And then also looking at where we get triggered about things. So it's looking at where we feel jealous about other people or where we judge other people. And those are, those strong emotions are really good indicators of a misalignment. So, you know, where you are judging another parent might be where you're not sure about your own choices. So that's a good place to look in your own life, you know, where, you know, and those things come up a lot around breastfeeding and sleeping yeah. choices and, you know, weaning choices. And those, I almost always find that the people who are judging the harshest are most insecure about their own decisions. Yeah, for sure. So for the listener who is living through their dark night of the soul right now, what do you want them to know? What do you want them to know as they, as we wrap up this conversation? I think the first thing that I would want them to know is that they're not alone, that there somewhere is another person who has felt something similar, if not exactly the same to what you're feeling. It's never exactly the same, but something similar. And also that this won't last forever. It might feel like it's going to last forever, but it will shift and it will morph. And even though the pain may not ever go away entirely, it will shift into something that you can live with and you can live with in a way that you maybe can't imagine right now. And there is no right timeline for that. So let it take as long as it needs to take. Mm. Thank you. In the context of all that we've talked about... What does joyful courage mean to you, Donya? I feel like joyful courage in the context of living through crisis is just being willing to show up every day mm. and see that there can be laughter and there can be connection and there can be sweetness sitting right alongside all the things that are painful. Mm. And the courage part, I think, comes from being willing to feel both of those things, sometimes, you know, in the flip of a switch. Ooh, thanks. That was nice. Yeah. Where can listeners find you and follow your work? I did not realize you had a podcast, by the way. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I didn't that. even tell you about that. No, yes. Okay. So uh, my podcast is called Nurturing Habit, and mm -hmm. it's on all the main places podcasts can be found. So that's a great place to find me. You can find my internet home at nurturedmama.net. So if you're looking for the podcast show notes, you can go to nurturedmama.net slash podcast. And then the rest of my site is just under nurturedmama.net. I have a blog there. There are lots of ways to connect me with me there. You can get on my email list if you want updates about what I'm doing. 
Um, right now, this year, I'm challenging myself to offer a free class every month. Ooh. So you can go to my website. I think the web page is nurturedmama.net slash free class. And I think it's all squished together. There might be a dash. I'm afraid I'm not looking at it, so I can't <laughs> tell you exactly. But I, okay, I will, Casey, we'll I will send you the link and I will <laughs> we'll figure it out. Um, so you can find whatever the current free class is. It's just a monthly free class that I teach in Zoom on lots of different topics. The next one is on showing up more in your life, like being more visible and more out and more big in your life. So that's a great place. And then on social media, I'm most active in Instagram. So I'm Nurtured Mama on Instagram. Awesome. Yay. Yeah. Well, listeners, you know, all those links will be in the show notes. Donya, thank you so much for coming You're on and welcome. spending time with me. This was lovely. Yeah, this was a great conversation. I love going deep with these these topics. So thanks for going there with me. Thank you so much for listening. It is my great honor to create this show for all of you. Big thanks to my producer, Chris Mann at Podshaper for his work in making the podcast sound oh so good. If you're interested in continuing these powerful conversations that start on the podcast, become a patron by heading to www.patreon.com slash joyful courage. That's www.patreon.com slash joyful courage. For $5 a month, you will have access to a private Facebook group where I do weekly Facebook Lives on Mondays and interview recaps on Fridays. Plus, it's a great way to give back to the show that gives you so much. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, wherever you are listening to podcasts, and simply search for the Joyful Courage Podcast and hit that subscribe button. Join our communities on Facebook, the Live and Love with Joyful Courage group and the Joyful Courage of Parents of Teens groups are both safe, supportive communities of like-minded parents walking the path with you. If you're looking for even bigger, deeper support, please consider checking out my coaching offer. www.joyfulcourage.com slash coaching is where to go to book a free explore call with me and we can see if we're a good fit. I'll be back next week. Can't wait. Until then, big love to you. Remember to find your breath, ride it into your body, take the balcony seat, and trust that everything is going to be okay. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.